You may be seated. Please turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4, and I will be reading verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Well, as we think about this passage, um, a question of eternal importance is this. What is saving faith? One of our church documents asks the questions this way. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Because that is the only way one can be saved. And so it answers the question this way. It says, Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. So faith in Jesus Christ is a gospel grace given freely as a gift by the Lord. And this will become increasingly important this morning as we look at our passage because along with faith, comes various tests and various trials which our Lord God uses to build and grow, even strengthen our faith in Him. Now, if you're a Christian, whether you have been one for many years or just a short while, you know that you are not exempt from trials in life. You are aware that you will have or will most definitely encounter some kind of test that comes your way. Whether it is big, major trial, or whether it is a small one. And you know that most of the time this trial comes when you, can, when you least expect it. Even though you know that trials will come sooner or later. But there are those that come to Jesus for other reasons too. Reasons that are not really in line with Scripture, not really in line with the Gospel. They respond to a false hope that somehow the moment that you put your trust on Jesus, you will no longer experience difficulties. A sort of a health, wealth, and prosperity idea. Or when you put your trust on Jesus, you will be exempt from sin and the effects of sin in this world. Some come to Jesus because they believe he makes them feel good or blessed. And this feeling will be with them until the end. And when the waves crash and the storms roar, they are dumbfounded. They are disillusioned. 
However, brothers and sisters, you should know full well that this is just not the case. All humans will need to face and deal with sin and its effects. And we will all face trials in our lives. And there's no way around it. There's no way that you can trick yourselves otherwise. And as believers, you have been brought into the light and you have been given a new understanding. So when you are put to the test, and when you struggle, you can see it through the eyes of faith as you look to and hold on to Jesus. This passage in front of us uh, shows us that the Lord brings us trials. The Lord allows trials in our lives because He wants us to grow in faith and He wants us to grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior. The Lord calms the winds and the storms, helping us in every trial that we face because He wants us to grow in faith and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So as is customary in Mark, we see very vivid details. He tells us precise details and on what day and what time of the day that they got into the boat. He says on that day that he had just been teaching in parables, actually, when evening had come. It was probably dark and maybe you would have seen the reflection of the moon in the water since the Sea of Galilee at nighttime, uh, the water would be still. We're also given some details that he was leaving the crowd, probably the crowd that Jesus had been teaching. And we are giving an insight that theirs is not just the only boat on the water, but there are also other little boats with them. And so... We, the reader, can see what they could have seen, and we can hear the sounds that, and, and be drawn into the story. When we feel what the disciples would have felt, and then we are given other details like waves crashing into the boat and water rushing in, we can see Jesus lying fast asleep on a pillow as this great storm arose, we are just drawn into the narrative. We can feel what they would have felt. We can smell for ourselves that fear that the disciples must have gone through. Can you relate? You might have a picture in your mind of what's going on. Maybe you have seen a picture in a children's Bible or of the disciples in a boat with the waves all around, and this is what it was like. The disciples are in a trial. They were in dire straits. Well, I think the first thing that we need to wrestle from our passage uh, with is just the setting, just the setting of, uh, for this trial of faith. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, he had just finished his ministry there, and now he is ready to move on. Jesus is, is the one who gives the orders, and he says, let's go across to the other side. 
Because in line with Jesus' mission, he wants to go and preach and minister the gospel of his kingdom to other regions. The Sea of Galilee was surrounded by mountains, and so it is set in kind of like a, a basin. And certain times of the day, uh, winds can come from all of a sudden and cause waves and storms. But Jesus is the one that says to his disciples, let's go. And it is evening when the winds would be at their calmest and the sea would be at its most peaceful and serene state. And the disciples, a group of fishermen, responded by taking Jesus along in the boat. Jesus is the one who initiates this trial which is going to soon ensue. Jesus calls them to go to the other side of the lake, separating them from the multitudes, bringing them alone with him. And what happens while they're in the middle of the lake? A great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Water was already coming into the boat. You see, the picture of what you should see here is the same picture we see in Jonah. The wind and the waves become violent and there is shaking and there is cracking. And the waves crashing against the boat are causing the boat to crack up and take in water at rapid speed, and it is filling up. You know, the word here for windstorm in the original language means something like this. Sea earthquake. That's what's going on there. It's a sea earthquake. The sea is in a violent turmoil beneath the boat. You might question, well, did Jesus know this was going to happen? Why would he take them out there if there is going to be a storm? What we see here is Jesus is showing that he is God and he is sovereign over the creation. Jesus in his providence is or in the ordering of the events that occur. He brings the storm. He does this while they are alone with Jesus out at sea and he allows the circumstances and things to happen according to his own will and for the glory, for his glory and your good. Yes, bad things, atrocious things, trials, God allows in your life for your good. He orchestrates everything around you and he puts you in situations through your lives that force you to look to him to force you to your knees in prayer in reliance upon His Holy Spirit for help. He orchestrates every detail, every constant, every variable. He destines everything around you for the benefit of your soul, for the benefit of your spirit. You see, Jesus here is saying that you need me. You need to trust me every second of every minute of every hour of every day. That's what's going on here. Consider Jesus for a minute. This huge storm comes. The wind is howling. The sea is roaring. 
The waves are breaking up the boat and filling it with water. And where's Jesus? He's in the stern of the boat, fast asleep on the pillow. Not only is he God, but he is also man. And uh, he had just been preaching and teaching and healing people. He was busy the whole time he was on the seashore, and he was exhausted. Of course, he's in the boat sleeping. And when the storm comes, Jesus remains asleep. This shows us something about trust. Jesus trusts the Father fully. And he can rest knowing that the Father is in control. There's something about the two natures of Christ here. In verse 38, Jesus in his humanity is asleep on a pillow in the boat, tired, very exhausted. But what happens in verse 39 after the disciples rebuke Jesus, accusing him for not caring that they are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Jesus, the God-man, in his divinity, commands the sea and the wind to stop, and the storm ceases at his voice. All authority on heaven and on earth and under the earth is given to him, and he rebukes the wind. And he says to the sea, be still. You know, it's interesting, the language here is the same language used when Jesus silences the demon that he cast out in the synagogue. So, be still, peace be still, actually means be muzzled. Be muzzled. So there's a, a ceasing of, of the sea at the voice of Christ. And God... As God and man, two natures in perfect harmony, Jesus himself sympathizes with you. He knows what you are going through. He knows. And he is there with you in your trials. He knows and is there with you in your struggles and your difficulties. He allows them to happen. And he initiates trials in your life for his glory and your good. And he is right there with you in the midst of it all. The disciples awoke and rebuked Jesus. And they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, this is a rude rebuke to their master. They're at the end of their rope in the storm. And they question Jesus. Do you not care? The question, they, they're questioning the Lord's love toward them. He's called them to leave their careers and to be his disciples. He's brought them along on this journey. Uh, they've been in his inner circle, watching him cast out devils and witnessing healings. They've heard Jesus preach and teach about the kingdom of God. And now what? You're just going to leave us to drown? I bet you can relate to this, can't you? Aren't we all so prone to doubt Jesus' love and care for us? His compassion on us? In our sin, it's so easy to want to just run away and hide. And we want to let Satan feed us lies. Jesus doesn't love you. 
If he did, he would not let this happen. But Jesus, by his word, corrects us every time. What I think this leads us to, secondly, is the fact that, and you got to get me right here, you need more faith. What do you mean, more faith? You, well, you need to grow in faith. We know this because of what Jesus asked his disciples after he rebukes the wind and the sea. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Again, they let, leave their nets and follow Jesus and they have accompanied him on his mission all the way until now. Yet they still don't understand why they would need to endure this trial. And out of desperation, they wake him up from his sleep. The disciples really won't know Jesus fully. They really still won't know him fully, who he is and why he came until his death, burial, and resurrection. But in the meantime, they are growing and they are learning and they, they struggle as they grow. And they will still be fearful and now they have been in frantic despair. Now it's worthwhile to note the connection in verse 40 between these two questions Jesus asked the disciples. The first question, why are you so afraid? And secondly, have you still no faith? Uh, I'd like to ask you guys, uh, do you think there is a connection between fear and faith? Can you be fearful and at the same time have faith? And I want to answer that question by saying that it depends on what kind of fear we are talking about. It, it appears that fear that Jesus is talking about is in the context of gentle rebuke. It comes right after he calms the sea storm, and now he wants to ensure his, assure his disciples. But the fear that he is talking about, I think is the fear of nature, the fear of the storm, the fear of the possibility that water will fill the boat and they will drown. But remember, these guys are fishermen. They are indeed Jesus' disciples, but they are fishermen. They should know about the sea. They are professional seamen. But they fear. I think they have this fear because they are just still getting to know who Jesus is and they are still in the process of understanding who Jesus is. Though Jesus has been letting them in on and hinting them on the mystery of his kingdom by teaching in parables and then teaching them while they are alone, it has not yet given them to know the whole picture. Like I said earlier, what they know now, they only know in part, but when Jesus dies and raises from the dead, then they will only, only then will they know him more fully. Their experience really isn't much different than your experience, isn't it? Uh, you are still in the process of getting to know the Lord, even those who have been Christians for 50, 60, 70 years. And you still have a long way to go in growing in your knowledge of Jesus. So when a trial of faith comes, when a storm 
of life comes, when a difficulty in life comes, a difficult relationship, a disappointment, a setback, when that comes your way, then you're still going to naturally react with some kind of fear. Your natural response will be one of surprise or shock or fear. But this all should drive you all the more to Jesus. All the more to look to Him for help in your time of need. You need to look to Him to set things right. Now, there's another kind of fear. There was a fear of nature, but this kind of fear is the fear of the Lord. Awe and reverence of God because you know that He is sovereign above all and that the King of the universe should bring you to your knees in awe and worship and wonder. It should make you feel small in and of yourselves and you should have a right view of His immensity. And that type of fear is closely related to faith. As you come to know and fear the Lord, your faith begins to grow and you can trust Jesus because He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is true. And that leads us to the next thing that we should consider from our text. That Jesus Christ, the object of your faith, reveals Himself to you. He gives His brothers and sisters glimpses of just who He is. Through nature, you learn and know that there is a God, but through His own Word, He specially reveals Himself to you. In these verses, we can see Jesus' authority demonstrated. In verse 41, it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? They are amazed, but they are given a glimpse into the glory of Jesus Christ through this act of calming the storm. And it is silenced and still in an instant. And it's how it should be for you. When, when you open up the Scriptures and in your daily lives, it, it brings us all, Jesus brings us all to points in our lives, even, even to our end of the rope in order to demonstrate His glory in our lives, in order to show us, despite our concerns for whether or not He loves us, that He has been and always will be there for us, even amid the storm. And Jesus wanted to teach His disciples something. He told them to get into the boat and head over there to the other side because He wanted them to learn a lesson about Him. He had just been teaching them by His authoritative teaching, His healing ministry, and exercising of demons. He had been teaching them by the way He handled the Pharisees. And now, He drags them out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee to teach them something. Jesus demonstrates His authority in verse 39, and He awoke and rebuked the sea and spoke to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You see, that night, Jesus, uh, that night, silence was brought about in an instant at His very command. Again, that word, be still. Be muzzled. It is the same word that Jesus used again when He cast out the demon in the synagogue. This shows that it is not merely a nature miracle that Jesus does here. 
But it is also, again, a demonstration of his power over Satan. You can't get the idea that somehow trials of faith in our lives are only allowed and brought about by God. True, God is sovereign and powerful over everything. The good and the bad. But you know that Satan also tries his best to shoot us with his darts. His darts of discouragement and feelings of despair. And Jesus says, stop it, you devil. Jesus is powerful over nature. He's powerful over the devil and over sin. And instantly, peace, calm, serenity. The wind and the waves simultaneously stop. It just took a second's time and the sea is like glass. You know, when I was a kid, my parents would take me to a lake that is part of the Colorado River. Pretty large lake. Lake Havasu, you've probably heard of that. I think it takes about an hour or so to drive from here to there, uh, around it or something. But toward the afternoon, a, a desert wind would kick up. And then if you were out on the boat in the afternoon, uh, you'd think you were in the Pacific Ocean. The waves would be huge and the boat would rock. It would be very easy for us little children to get seasickness out on Lake Havasu. So if you like to water ski, you'd probably go out on the water at about 5 or 6 in the morning. Then you'd look over the lake and it would be still as glass. Not a ripple to be seen. Now, I know it's a bad comparison, but the Sea of Galilee, the raging winds and, and waves and wind is now still as glass in an instant. Peace, be still. In the Psalms, we see the same thing happening. In Psalm 65, 7, it says, You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 89.9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 93.4, the Lord is high. On high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. In Psalm 104.6 and 7, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains and your rebuke, at your rebuke they fled at the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. Mighty words of Jesus' power. Even the wind and the sea obey Him. Even the trials and turmoils you face will obey Him. And the disciples' response is striking, but it shows that they begin to see, even if it's just a tiny glimpse of who Jesus is, and they fear the Lord. And you know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They begin to know Him in a new way and trust Him in a new way. You know, you see the beginnings here of true faith. They trust Jesus here. They see this display of the glory of Christ and they look at Him in wonder and awe and all their attention is fixed on Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand that Jesus has power not only over demons and health and nature, 
He has power over everything in your lives. Every trial, every persecution, every disappointment in your lives. And so we can see and be encouraged just as we read in the psalmist in Psalm 107, speaking of Jesus, those who go down into the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up on the heavens. They go down again into the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. He calms the storms so that its waves are still. The passage we read today has obvious implications for all of us. If you are here and you don't have faith in Jesus, you should tremble at the fact that you are going to go down with the wind and the waves. But the Lord offers you His help. He offers you His salvation freely. Now, not to all who keep living for themselves, but to all who would come to Him by faith, just as you are. If you are here and you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He is saying, I want you to grow in faith and knowledge of Me. I want you to have a biblical understanding and perspective, especially when you face trials, because you will face trials. And we will grow in our faith because we need to and because Jesus will help us. Now, there are situations that we are going to face as a congregation of those trials of our faith. And we will endure all of them together. And there will be times that it's hard to remain optimistic. But Jesus has us right in the place He wants us. He knows what He is doing. He wants us growing in grace together and in the knowledge and understanding together and in faith together. We're in this together. He will surely pull us all through. Jesus says, come on. Jump on the boat. We are going to the other side. And we will persevere. And He will preserve us. And we will make it to the other side. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ, Jesus, who not only commands us to step out by faith, but he gives us the strength to do so and the grace to do so. We thank you that he does, he does cause storms in our lives, but he also calms storms in our lives as well because He is sovereign and so we can and should and must put our trust 
in Him alone for redemption, for salvation, for rescue from the storm. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness to respond by faith because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.